everybody. Welcome to Tuning Fork. It's a show about music and the Pitchfork Media hype machine. I'm David. I'm Matt. I am James. James is back. It's been a very Yay. long time. We, we don't have another Kanye album to talk about today. Honestly, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine to never discuss another Kanye album. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was tough back then, and it would be even harder now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, discussing Kanye gets worse every... Every second of every day. Mm-hmm. But anyway, James, uh, which one are we talking about today? Oh, I believe we are talking about a little album called Who Kill by a band called Tune Yards. Yeah, this Hell, one has yes. been this one's been on our back burner for a while. We've been meaning to do it for like a year. Yeah, it fits a lot of like qualifications of um, albums that we're always really jazzed about doing. Um, it was my number one album of 2011. Oh. And um, that's probably the last time that I made like a co. It was then in uh, then our 2013, the last times that I like made a coherent like top ten, top twenty of the year. Back when yeah, I was like I able to, to keep up with music, mm-hmm. I used to write those lists on my last FM like journals page. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would always write a little bit and post something on when I had a Tumblr. Um, I would post it on there and it would get like one note probably from you guys being like, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> yeah. This one was definitely on my 2011 list. I don't remember mm-hmm. what else was. Yeah. What albums came out in 2011? I don't know. I don't care. Don't ask me. Don't let me, don't make me have to think about it. Um, I looked at Pitchfork's top 50 and I was fascinated by it. Um, the number one record that year, Bony Bear, Bear. Bony Bear. Yeah. Bony yeah, Bear, Bony Bear, so. which, um, I was like, oh yeah, that is a good record, but I just not what I think of as being number one of any year, really. But. I primarily just think of that album in the context of the the Beth Rest Blow the Horn Gimli video. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is one of the greatest web videos. So, it is. like, it's a good thing to remember. In terms of online, it's near the top. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Qualms, for that video. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the album is also the number one on the, the Paz and Jop poll that year. Oh, are you reading the Which, Wikipedia? for anyone who's not aware of those, is like an aggregate of a bunch of different musical outlets. Because I guess it just ended up being, like, high enough on enough people's lists that uh, that it just kind of worked. Because it wasn't, like, number one on a lot of outlets. Yeah. yeah but I think it, I think it got the two to five spot in, a not, in enough places to work out. Yeah, I think what they do is they get a bunch of critics and a bunch of other lists together. They, they have like a ton of critics just submit lists, and they yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's an aggregate, like you said. Um, usually it's a pretty good list, but it's also yeah. very like um, music critic list. Yes, so. of course. Yeah, but yeah, no. One thing that was like particular in 2011 is that like this is one of the first years that it really like kind of blew everyone away what the pick was. Because, like, the previous year it had been My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and the year before that it was Mary Weather Post Pavilion. Like, they were all, like, really huge consensus picks. And this wasn't really yeah, people a consensus pick. Yeah. It was, uh, it kind of, it kind of threw everyone off. And I guess that's kind of what happens when you aggregate, when you do, when you use aggregate lists and then, like, you know, tastemakers are all over the place. It's all kind of spread out. It's all very different. Right. Because Tune Yards was, like, Tune Yards was, like, not really in any sort of like like limelight before this album at all like they had one album out previously no. to this and it was recorded on uh, a digital audio handheld recorder with audacity <laughs> yeah. and that was it it had one song that was in a blackberry commercial and that's actually <laughs> where i first heard tune yards was in a blackberry commercial yeah wow. <laughs> it's a good song too uh probably one of the the best songs on the first album fire 
which like kind of just goes into the naming convention that she still uses to this day, which is like Indeed, just yeah. a lot of abbreviations in her titles. Um, oh. Anyway, I, I revisited the album today, as I as I tend to do on the day of recording. I actually listened to it two and a half times because it's a very short. It's not a very long album, uh, so I, I had got one full listen in while I was walking because uh, I'm doing I'm doing daily walks right now, and it's a good time to get my album listen in. Good and then I was you. just kind of like thumbing through the tracks to get to the ones that I really wanted to listen to. And then when I got home, I put on one of my two copies of the vinyl. <laughs> oh, we're getting to it already. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do we got? What do we got? Do we own the vinyl, folks? We do. I think all of us do. This is the I'm, first time. I am holding it in my hands as we speak, looking at the lyrics um, for a later conversation. Yes, I own exactly one copy. That's all I need for myself. <laughs> the thing is, my- is that this album is is never, I don't think it's going to be out, it's, it's going to be overthrown as our um, copies per people on the episode, mm. unless we, by some miracle, do Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion, of which there is five <laughs> copies in our apartment. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. I remember when you were starting to <laughs> aggregate all of those. Look, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a um, crisp yeah. forty-two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I love a tight album. Although, like, we'll 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 get to it a little bit. I I still think you could have trimmed a little more fat off of it. Yeah, um, I'll say the the at least from the start, it is an, it is a supremely listenable album. Like, it is oh, really, yeah. really nice to listen to. You were saying earlier that it's kind of difficult for you personally to listen to it with sort of a critical ear because it just becomes like, yeah, this is nice. Yeah, I, this, oh, is yeah. One of those, this is one of those <laughs> records that I, like a lot of my listening habits are often, I get into one album and I wear it out. This is one that I wore out so bad that I basically didn't oh, listen yeah. to it for a decade. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah I, that's, I have that's not listened why to this album in at least three years until today. That's why your top song on Last FM, like besides the obvious, was "Green Typewriters" by Olivia Tremor oh. Control for like four <laughs> years. Well, there's also if that song is well because of stupid music brains. Um, that song was titled just "Green Typewriters" for each yeah. version of it, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, every so. every movement. Good old music brains, the most pedantic website I've ever. <laughs> Yeah, I, we, I hate them we, and we, I love we, them so much. Indeed, we give a lot of we give a lot of shit to to genius, but <laughs> music brains is terrible in its own different way. It was the original, yeah. just like music gatekeeping over um, tags of MP3s. <laughs> Truly yeah. uh, impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I bring it bring it up like every time is when I got into like an edit war with one of the admins on music <laughs> brains because I kept changing the titles of Neutral Milk Hotel songs to match what they were listed as on the CD. Um, but yeah. they have a particular way that they uh, write like songs that are in parts, so they kept changing it back to that. <laughs> ever yeah, ever my, since yeah. Scrobbling basically died, like nobody nobody cares about accuracy in tags as much as they used to. Yeah, that was when I gave up because yeah, I have things like the glow part two. My plays for it are split across the glow part two, the way it's actually written, pt dot two, and then yeah. comma part. Two, because of stupid music brains. Uh, oh God. Yeah. That said, Who Kill, like, the album is stylized with the spaces in between all the letters. Tune Yards is stylized with the hyphen in between and the alternating caps like it's yes. a Homestuck character. Um, <laughs> and then, like, like the track titles are, are straightforward, so I, I feel like everyone kind of got the message with this one because of how it was all, always written in, in press. Um, and I think it's I, th- I think it's a it's an album that musically holds up remarkably well, uh, and lyrically a little less so. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, I agree but with that. I, I feel like part of it is like I, I I'm I'm gonna go a little hard on Meryl for this, uh, for for some of this stuff, but like a lot of it is more it's not necessarily offensive what she's saying, it's just really cringe. And I feel like that is kind of what she is going for anyway. Yeah. A lot of her like she is she is there's a lot of weaponized cringe on this album it's, which I believe is intentional. Yeah. Especially it's when she tough. like aff- it puts on like the the valley girl affect on her voice. Right. It's like clearly she's going for like a kind of like a mocking sarcastic tone. Um but she does like also have like a really jaunty song about police violence on this one. The sarcasm to me almost reads like sort of like the way that uh like any of the songs on 69 love songs by the magnetic fields are sure in a lot of places mm-hmm. but yeah like it's i don't know we'll, we'll we'll get into it on a track by track basis i suppose <laughs> yeah each one has its own little form of it. It, it, it i'd say generally it has a very like 2011 white liberal vibe to it in a yeah. not positive way <laughs> With a little yeah. bit more class consciousness than your average 2011 liberal, but not yeah. necessarily relating guess, it in the most successful way. I'll yeah, it looks like, like a, she did um, very much like live in like a, a heavily black part of Oakland. So it's not like she didn't know any black people, which right. is definitely a step above a lot of white liberals from 2011. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was the, peak it's, West it's Wing still- time. Yeah, yeah, but like I'm I'm looking at like reviews of the album and like l- reviews of later Tune Yards albums definitely get into like the way her racial politics are like a little weird coming from a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. but like no 2011 review of Who Kill got into that at all. Like it's just like <laughs> I, it's it's wild just how different of a time it was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I honestly didn't remember this as being a political album. I listened to it and I was like this is it, it's one of the most I mean Again, the politics are weird, but it's not front to back, nonstop, like politics in oh, your yeah, face about it. Um, so race politics, gender politics and class politics. That's like those are the three things that at least one of those are present on each song on the album. Yep. And I think it's it's most successful when she's examining herself. So like the, the class politics and gender politics are the are the stuff that's aged the best. Um, and the race politics are, of course, the thing that aged the worst. We're, we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of this one, April 19th. Wow. <laughs> I think I first heard it, like, summer of that year, because I had a summer job that let me listen to music, so I was, like, really caught up on stuff that year. Yeah. Before before this came out, um, James and I had gone to see uh, an Islands show. Uh, I don't remember whether it was 2008 or 2009, but I know that we were both in college. It was and- post- their second album, I know that, which whose name I can't think of off the top of my head for some Arms reason. Way. But Har- yeah, yeah, it was Arms Way, yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, Meryl's uh, former band, Sister Suvi, was one of the two opening acts, the other being the rapper Despot. Um, is his, is his album out yet? What a lineup. Is, no, his is album Despot's is not album out yet. Is album out yet? Is it out yet? It is not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to be. Not out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so Meryl... Um, she she was if I remember correctly she was like dressed really crazy for that show mm-hmm. like had the had the um like I, I want to say like a feather boa on the whole time and uh, okay like, so like exactly how she dresses for Tunyard shows yeah and it was and she was playing I think mostly ukulele for the entire set yeah I think that's right yeah 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 that tracks yeah I'm, and I'm so, like yeah like the feather boa and then she always has a lot of like face paint and really colorful mm-hmm. outfits yep. I remember, I remember us both being like, 
that like being very impressed by that opener and by yeah. Despots, and then the Island Show being kind of it was fine. <laughs> yeah, that was like uh, Nick Thorburn's like most angry period. I feel like um, where he was yeah. just kind of pissed off about because he yelled at somebody in the crowd for suggesting that he played tough ghost and he tried to fight him and he didn't play rough gem very pointedly to our consternation yeah. um so i feel like that was yeah like maybe not the best time in his life yeah arms but- way was such a weird album yeah now now nick just makes music for podcasts yeah that's true good for him seems like a good avenue to be to be in in 2021 that's right. He did the uh, the the theme music for Serial. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's done a couple of things since, and I just don't remember what any of them are off the dome. I think yeah. he's still in that band with um, Honus Honus. That again, my oh, Mr. Is, Heavenly, Mr. Heavenly. Yeah, yeah. They which put I, out another album, which I did not listen to because I'm like, wait, they still exist. <laughs> That's yeah. my same thought. I was like, oh, band I, I didn't like previously. Pounding Records. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> So what they have, what he has to do is make another. He has to make another Human Highway album with Jim Guthrie. Yeah, that's what he's got to do. I'd be into that. Was that. the good shit? That was good, actually. Yeah. The Pitchfork review for Who Kill got an eight point eight, and uh, it's a pretty straightforward review. But like, like you said, it does not get into any of the weird racial politics at all. Um, it's it's a lot more concentrated on like how the music sounds. Um, yeah, I mean, it gets that's... into a little bit of. The, <laughs> it's like, like I wrote it. Re- uh, <laughs> like talking about how she's wrestling with her own privilege and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like uh, two sentences in the entire review. Yeah, like I, it seems so weird to talk about the song "Gangsta" and not talk about like what that song is going for. Right. Like not to say that that song isn't like very cringe in 2021. Um, <laughs> oh, but oh. like, still, like what it was going for is like completely necessary to under to make that song not just sound like racist yeah <laughs> which yeah, like it's, it's <laughs> such a straight up and down review it's really it's not even there's i think there's actually this is written by matt perpetua who hasn't written anything since 2012 <laughs> i think there's a better write-up and i was looking at the top 50 list um by Lindsay zolads yeah. the great uh the greatest yes of course <laughs> um that she wrote the uh, blurb for it for that. I remember that being pretty good when I read it yesterday. And of course I don't have it pulled up right now, but I remember that being better than this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's so straight up and down. You'd think it was attached to like one of the classic pitchfork 7.8 reviews. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that, pin, that's like exactly how album. it reads. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, it's like, it's like the complete. Uh, yeah. This is the kind of review that I was writing for like my school paper at the time. And I, I really mm-hmm. thought I had written one for this. And I was going to bring it up. Um, but apparently I read about tomboys that came out like five days before this for that week's uh, paper. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wrote a college paper about the song bros once. Nice. I, I feel like the only time I was regularly writing reviews for stuff was like 2013 where I like made like a writing challenge on my Tumblr and I don't know where any of those are anymore. Cause I'm pretty sure I deleted them all. All it's of mine, fine. yeah. I I lost all my hard drives, but luckily I emailed them all to my editor, so they're all in my oh, old sent files. Um, so I did also find the one I wrote for um, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy that I couldn't find last nice. time. But we don't need to bring that one up because it's not a very good review. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta open my bead now. Beautiful. There you go. Getting ready for we it. We got we got an Amsterdam Crispy. brewery makes you pucker dry hopped sour, four point eight alcohol by volume. It's a beautiful green can that evokes the sourness of the beer. Wow. 
Um, I'm matching you, not with a sour, but with a uh, prize, a local Minneapolis brewery here. Uh, Miraculum, a Midwest IPA. Um, It has a... a, uh, a, (laughs) Interesting. I have a Coca-Cola Zero, which is a combination of carbonated water, caramel color, phosphoric acid, (laughs) and aspartame. Ooh. So shall we get into it? I think so. First we got My Country. Wondering when they'll find out. Which to me starts the album like perfectly. Oh yeah. Um, this is like a perfect opening track. It really, um, it gets you into like the sonic universe of the album really quickly. Mm-hmm. Like first it starts with like a low fidelity audio recording with clips, um, which are used like throughout the album um, to great effect. Actually, it's it's kind of like the kind of like the binding glue between all the tracks. I've transcribed the opening of this song into a tweet or a Tumblr post at least four or five times. In the last yeah, ten I mean, years, <laughs> Meryl is performing at the. Yeah, that's not even on the lyric sheet. Come on, no. no, it's on Genius though because Genius has to have that. Of course. Um, now, one thing I have to point out is that Genius for this album. Um, I every time I say that we found a new worst Genius uh, <laughs> um, writing, um, we, we have outdone ourselves with some of the ones on this. Oh, I barely yeah. looked at the annotations when I was using it yesterday. I was listening to it. Um, I'm just going to say um, every single one written by a white man. And no, it tells, on Genius? Come on. On Genius. <laughs> but, like, it just seems even worse than usual. Well, it's also wrong a bunch. This song is, if you hadn't worked it out, about America. America. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, song against patriotism. I'm, I'm for it. Mm-hmm. It seems very, it's, it's, it's a straightforward song. Um, I think I feel like what it does best is just kind of rolls you lightly into the politics of the album and also into the into the just the way she drums, which I mean, I was hand drumming throughout this entire album while I was listening to it on my walk. Um, I apparently still have the muscle memory for almost all of it, which is very fun to do <laughs> when you are walking down a sidewalk in the rain. Let me tell there's, you, there's a good number of uh, artists we talk about on this show whose vocalists are also the drummer. Yeah, it kind of comes up a lot, huh? Yeah. Like, but, but for her, it's we, just we like, Japan she just droids. has a snare and... I think she just has, like, a... Usually just a snare and a tom in front of her, right? Yeah. I feel like that's generally how she does it. Yeah, yeah she has a really basic setup. And then, and then she has the looping, yeah. Which, uh... Yeah. Um, we should probably mention how much of, yeah, the music itself is mostly her looping her own voice or looping drums or um, something else. And then she has a, a bassist and some horns for the most part throughout, if I'm... Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember uh, when I saw her live, a big part of it is at the beginning of each song is that she sets up the loops and it's pretty mesmerizing to watch. Uh, oh, yeah. I watched a live video today from Pitch from the Pitchfork Festival which is where I think I saw her. Um, and the fact that I mean, like, you the, did see yeah. her at Pitchfork because I was also there. OK, I remember this. <laughs> well, yeah, we were we were at the same show. There's, we, we met in person for the first time. That's right. Somewhere before or after that performance. I believe. I know we met 
somewhere in front of like the main stage. That was on the secondary stage. So I ran yes, into this you, was on the green stage. Um, somewhere between the red and green stages, and uh, probably waiting for probably Panda Bear. For being honest, if we're going by the time period, um, uh, Animal Collective was on the main stage Animal, that year. I don't think, yeah. Probably that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Panda Bear was there the previous year because that was when Tomboy was coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember sitting through. I well, I watched. It was like I watched Beach House, then John Spencer Blues Explosion was the next band, and then Panda Bear. <laughs> so I watched Beach House, and we all blissed out. And then a bunch of middle-aged people came out of nowhere <laughs> and listened and rocked out to John Spencer Blues Explosion around us, and then uh, Panda Bear came and. Uh, we all bust out of that, uh, and the old people disappeared. But I believe a bunch of people had bought <laughs> tickets just for that day, just to see. <laughs> Which uh, I appreciate. I thought that was pretty neat at the time. I was like, "Who are all these? Th- these are not <laughs> what? Yeah, why are they in this crowd? These and are now, not hipsters. And now you're the and now you're the thirty-something guy who shows mm-hmm. up to the show. Oh yeah, now one hundred percent. I'm the person people are looking at, being like, "Is he alone?" <laughs> Is that sad? <laughs> who's who's the narc? <laughs> but yeah, I just remember like going to see Tune Yards. I had to skip battles, which was oh. like possibly one of the worst festival conflicts I've ever had in my life and will ever have. This yeah. was Glossdrop era battles. Was this this was post? It was Glossdrop era battles. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember. I ended up seeing them like that October, but that was the only thing that got me through having to skip their set. I think that was one of the first times they played. They played Atlas without Tiandai. If I remember, because I remember coming back from Tune Yards, my friend went to Battles, and he was like, dude, they played Atlas. And I was like, well, I just saw Tune Yards, and that was really good, too. But now I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was, like, when they were still, like, using his voice recording, too, before yeah. they'd done the, because uh, eventually they got, like, a children's chorus to do a cover of it. Oh, okay. Because that's what they use in, in live performances going forward, because that's still the only song they play from the first album ever. Because you sad. can't not you can't not play that song. Yeah, when I saw them live, they hadn't figured it out yet, so it was just yeah. glass drop, which is awesome, and got to see the tall symbol and all that. But it was a bummer not to hear any of the. Uh, they should at least play Tonto still. Yeah. Like I feel like that was the other big single from from Mirrored. Hey, remember how we're talking about Tune Yards? Yeah, <laughs> the video for this song is weird, <laughs> but I like it. But I have not watched any of the videos for for the songs on this album. Like probably since 2011. Yeah, it's uh, it's Meryl with a bunch of uh, little kids who are probably maybe uh, eight to ten years old, um, and they all have like her trademark single streak of uh, of like war war paint or face paint across mm-hmm. their faces, and um, they're all like miming playing instruments, or, or rather not miming, but but pretending to play real instruments. Mm, uh, right. And there's a lot of like weird practical effects that are happening throughout the entire video. Um, but yeah, she's like with, she's like with these kids and is the only adult in the space. Yeah. I feel like that kind of fits with some of the, it's, we're going to, I mean, we're going to talk about it a lot, but the, she presents sort of a like child, childish front. And then the yeah. lyrics and content are not in the slightest. It's a, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, how do you want to say it? Um, well, you mentioned, like, the song about police brutality being so jaunty and uh, kind of fun. And it's like... It literally has Shana Nas in it. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of... I'm trying to think of the word. I, I, my words are not working, which is bad for being on a podcast um, for me today. Um, 
It's dissonance, right? Dissonance, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, th- this song is like it's it's a fairly straightforward like kind of anti-patriotism song. Like, oh, the shame I felt when those histories mentioned my name. If only I could forget, but memory's my favorite game. We cannot all have it. Well, what am I supposed to say to those other guys? So sorry, but you only stood half a chance. Now it's over, and they're walking all over you. Like, cool. That's critique of capitalism. Easy to easy to do. Yep. And it's so straightforward, but it's like it's really effective. And I think it's it's um, again, like uh, the, the stuff that's about her own identity and her relation to her own identity are the stuff that really work well. And that's like that's a white privilege line, baby. <laughs> yeah. In a live setting, um, I noticed that in a, at least a few of the videos uh, when they play this song, uh, the bassist Nate Brenner uh, takes over some of the, the vocal duties, like when uh, the song has those asides, like like the one you just said, the so sorry, but you only should have a chance. And everyone right. like freaks the hell out because he's like, <laughs> oh my God, he's singing. <laughs> yeah, because usually he's just kind of off to the side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the, the mic drop line of the worst thing about living a lie is just wondering when they'll find out before like the, the cool like instrument drop. The boom, boom, boom. Why would I know what anything's called? I'm just going to call it the womp. Yeah, I mean, it's it what is it a is. womp. I mean, I don't know what else you would. Yeah, they put a womp on this one. It goes womp, 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 and it blomps. Come on. <laughs> so before we before we get tempted to click any more of the genius annotations on this song, we should probably move on to Esso. Let's move on to Esso. Let's hear about Esso. I feel it's like it's not um, the strongest one. I feel like the way that the um, like kind of unmelodic vocal in the background with like the detuned bass, <laughs> it, it makes kind of a cool effect, but it gets really grating after a while. Um, and it's like it's it's another it's a, it's one of the the many kind of body image songs on there because so the, like the lyrics are are mostly fine in that regard. Um, a lot of really iconic lines on it actually. Um, yes, I was gonna say it does have two. I mean, any anything that says. Any one thing, media, whatever, head says, I can't believe I ate the, I ate the whole thing, um, just gets a, like a 5% bump in my book. So yeah, just... especially following the line, bathe it all in a wave of disgust. Yeah. Thanks. Perfect. And then, of course, uh, one of the later lines in the song is, I run over my own body with my own car. What What else do you have to say? Like, what else is what else there to, to possibly, like, <laughs> I run yeah, over no, like my the, own body the, with the, my own car. Beautiful. Yeah the the thing that the the thing that ends the lines earlier in the song that I got to do right if my body's tight right um, I just kind of find annoying um, which I think is the point but yeah. you know yeah she puts a voice a, on <laughs> it's saying you know again this is this is fraught so I don't want to get <laughs> too it's very much about um, yeah about like body politics and stuff like that um, that I'm not quite sure exactly where it's going. Um, a lot of it. I think it's supposed to just be like, you know, people who are like, you know, thin in the model of society are are just deemed correct. Mm-hmm. And then she feels a lot of disgust towards like herself because of the way this uh, this positioning in society is. But I don't think that lands particularly well. Yeah. Mostly pretty, because uh... the song is annoying. <laughs> 
I, I am noticing on the on the lyric sheet in the um for the vinyl, uh, she does uh, censor the word fucking, um, which <laughs> she does. I think is very funny. <laughs> yeah, like you don't have to do that. It's the it's the sealed part of the album. Yeah, she you says have, the song. She says it on the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the, I gotta do right if my body's tight, um, the lo- it, it almost sounds, uh, a little bit like, uh, an album we discussed previously, um, Treats by Sleigh Bells, um, mm. which has all of those, like, references to, uh, to, like, um, like, teenage girl culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, so that's like, a very the, the kind of valley girl aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's basically embodying an Alexis Krauss character. <laughs> in half of this song they will hear me say as the pavement whirls i hate california girls <laughs> did that distortion by the magnetic fields didn't get best new music did it i feel like it was um a low eight no best new music yeah that could be sounds wrong. extremely right to yeah me. Um, like my brain is telling me 8.1 and i swear to god if it's exactly that then i'm gonna just like <laughs> Go get my brain wiped because I'm, I don't deserve the gift of memory. I'm looking for you right now. This is going to be fun. If we have to wipe Matt's brain today. Um, <laughs> we can do it after the podcast. Oh, shoot. Ooh, pretty, I'm pretty so good sorry. Though. All right. You got to keep your brain. It's an 8.0. No. <sighs> best in music. <laughs> I was so close. So close. Yeah. That, that came out when I was in the height of listening to noise rock. So that was like the perfect way for me to actually get into the magnetic fields. Sure, at the time. Yeah. Hey, we made a noise rock album. Yeah. All right. Guess it's time. It's time for Gangsta. If you move into his neighborhood, he'll never make a sound. If you move into his neighborhood, bang, bang, boy, never move to my hood. Because danger is crawling out the wood. Bang, bang, boy, never move to my hood. Because danger is crawling out the wood. Meryl, I know what you're going for here. <laughs> I know what you're going for. But the fact that this song was used on the soundtrack of two different Genji Cohen shows <laughs> means that you let it be licensed too freely and allowed it to undermine your point. Yeah, it's it's a it's like a born in the USA situation, right? Right. Cuz basically <laughs> like uh like the opening stanza of the song is what's a boy to do if he'll never be a gangsta? Anger in his heart, but you'll never be a gangsta. If you move into his neighborhood, you'll never make a sound. Yeah. And the whole point of it is basically like it's it's clearly just like about like the commodification of black culture by white people. Yeah. But yet, like they won't live near white people. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the point of the song. It's just white flight, which is something that would be like really apparent to someone who had just moved to Oakland like two years prior. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. That that kind of that you you'd see a lot of that type of behavior from like the the gentrifiers around you now see the way it is used in genji cohen shows is it is played when the white character and en- enters a predominantly black area and is <laughs> oh like <laughs> and is like intimidated by what she sees around her wait is that right so it's wait, like it's completely really? taking that and playing it straight as like <laughs> as like as, as like representing white anxiety as opposed to like a critique of of people who just you know commodify black culture's aesthetic without any material support towards black people, so like it completely misses the point. 
And it makes the song seem a lot worse than it is. Yeah, like it's a good song. It yeah, it actually is a really well put together song. Like oh yeah, like I could listen to this all the time. Like just musically, it's really really good. Yeah, and like really, like the whole song continues with similar lines and verses, but like it all just says the same thing. Uh, coming into the chorus of the bang bang bang. Oh, you never moved to my hood, cause danger is crawling out the wood. Is like sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I and think, it yeah. is played completely straight every time it is used in media. Right, because there's definitely she's playing with perspective. She's playing with like, I mean, and I think she's playing with like characters too. Like she's not always singing from her own her own perspective, um, which yeah. is yeah. certainly questionable you know, which perspective she's picking to sing from. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this song. This is one where I'm listening back to it after not listening for a long time. I was it was a real face punch of like uh politics where i was like well i'm glad it's she was thinking about this 7 2011 because i wasn't as much but yeah boy oh boy if we well yeah it, it, it's really it's really um it's kind of important to remember that this album is like one year prior to the start of the black lives matter movement right mm-hmm. like just just like speaking like not speaking as like um as like a, a forgive for any cringe that she might be posting on main. Uh, but just to say like, as the political <laughs> moment being a full year before that, um, it's a very different uh, perspective than a lot of people would have now. And I, I honestly, I, I'm like trying to think, imagine like her releasing this song in 2021 <laughs> and not just getting pilloried on Twitter. Do you remember when this song got performed on late night with Jimmy Fallon with the roots and black thought did a guest verse on it? No. Wow. I completely forgot about that, but that sounds fucking sick. That sounds really yeah, hard. yeah. Which, like, again, it's it was really out of place, but also it was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. I just remember when uh, when there was a there's a writer at Pitchfork that was talking about being like halfway between the stages of Tune Yards and Battles and being like, man, that would be a really good collab. Yeah, actually, yeah. That, I mean, based on happened. how like the way they make music and the sonic, yeah, that I would love to hear. Uh, Meryl sing on a battle song. Yeah, Didn't she end up doing it? I feel like she did on did one she? of the more recent ones. Oh but, yeah, you know, I can't remember Sh- shit. Shows what Just I know. On, on the very newest uh, battles album, um, there was a yeah, there was a guest spot. Well, damn. But yeah, um, the interpretations on on Genius put the uh, "What's a girl to do if she'll never be a Rasta?" to be about herself, um, which I could totally see. Um, but that's like weaponized cringe. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like I'm you're you're kind of just admitting to being like in this place where you where you want to consume and embody black culture, but it's not like seen as a cool thing for you to do. Um, um which is kind of really funny when you consider that after this album, she like went to Haiti to learn about drumming and then used Haitian drumming techniques on her next album. Wow. Yeah. Which I listened to Nikki Knack maybe twice it's pretty good water fountain's like by and large the best song on it i remember yeah, being that's like, the one that gets yeah. licensed all the time i remember yeah. being excited about it and then it came out and i didn't listen to it a, a very common <laughs> thing for me is that i'll be like yeah yeah new new tune yards uh it comes out i download it i listen to like part of it i'm like oh okay and it just the disappears problem is that it came out the same week as uh, owen pallet's in conflict which is a much better album well i oh yeah that that album has brian eno on it obviously it's better <laughs> but yeah um 
I, I'd say like this this song has has not aged particularly well. No. But I don't think like what she's going for is necessarily a bad thing to be going for. I just think it's a perspective that no one really needs to hear in 2021, uh, which is why I think like her later albums get reviews that say like, okay, why are you talking about this though? We don't need this from you. Yeah. There's so many other people who have said this and done it better, which is why I'm glad that her soundtrack contributions to, um, sorry to bother you are purely just instrumental with some vocal, like just like vocal noises yeah. on them. And any of the songs that actually have lyrics are the ones that are by the coup. I mean, to, to uh, her credit, uh, when I heard those songs in the background of Sorry to Bother You, I was ins- I immediately knew it was a Tune Yard song. She has a, there is basically still nothing that sounds like Tune Oh yeah, Tune Yard. and that's this like really, before, yeah. before she even put her voice out onto it. When, when it was, when it's her voice, it's very obvious right. that it's her. But like just the just the drums and uh, and the and Nate Brenner's bass mm-hmm. were enough mm-hmm. for me to identify them. Yeah, yeah, same. I was like, is this a Tune Yard song? And I hadn't heard. And I mean, there's plenty of Tune Yard songs I've never heard. But I looked it up as I was watching, and I was like, oh, interesting collaboration. But um, yeah, it, it works really well for that movie and how I can see as someone who like lives and works in activist circles in Oakland how like her and Boots Riley would become friends. Absolutely, yep. I was gonna <laughs> that say, just yeah. seems like it would have happened so quickly after she moved there. Yeah. All right, so the next track we got is Power. In 2018, NPR ranked this as the number 55 greatest song by a female or non-binary artist in the 21st century. Huh. I mean, it's very good. That does get a big huh. <laughs> First of all, NPR. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's one of the ones that's aged better just because, you know, it's about personal sexual and gender politics and yeah. not about racial politics. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think it's uh, one one thing that's really good about it is just like the dynamics of the song, just purely from the audio perspective. She's like doing like some pretty quiet singing that like ends up in belting by the end of the song, but it's all very well processed. Mm-hmm. And then like the um, the ukulele is recorded really close to the mic, and just like it 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 just sounds so good. This actually makes sense to me that uh, it sounds so good to you because the first thing that that tone reminded me of was Born Ruffians. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Yeah, it's got I mean, kind of that jangly kind of pop sound to it. Yeah, which like, I would not describe any other part of this song as being like Born Ruffians, other than the fact that it's like unquestionably horny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tune Yards for Warp Records is what we're saying. Yeah, Tune Yards for Warp there Records. Um, and then, yeah, um, I... Just, just the uh, the your power inside it rocks me like a lullaby. The exact way she sings that just reminds me of Collective Souls December for some reason. I don't know <laughs> huh. what it is about the way she sings it, but it just like brings that tone into my head. And I I'm listened like, to a lot of Collective Soul as a uh, a preteen to early teen, and yeah, I can see that. I, I mean, I listen to a lot of Collective Soul as a child. My mom really likes Collective Soul, so yeah, <laughs> it seems like a kind of band that moms are into. Moms yeah, we got we got their uh, their self titled album through the Columbia Record Club in the mail. 
Baby, I'm not just I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. <laughs> yeah, that's a that the that's a running joke between me and my wife is <laughs> the Weird Al Columbia Record Club thing. Yeah, the I, I really like the the part near the end of the song where it's the mirror mirror on the wall. Yeah. Cuz it's just like it's such a it's it's all said so vulnerably. Mhm. Mirror, mirror on the wall, can you see my face at all? My man likes me from behind. Tell the truth, I never mind. Because you bomb me with life's humiliations every day, and you bomb me so many times I never find my way. It's good. Like, it's probably one of the most vulnerable lines on the album. And it's just like, when I first heard the song, it's like, I mean, that's like that's a bold fucking lyric to throw in the that, middle it, Yeah, it always, it always stood out. I mean, it's supposed to stand out, obviously. It's yeah. sung incredib- very clearly, and um, th- this... Yeah, the quality of her voice on this song is incredible throughout most of it. And then, yeah, that lyric is always just sort of like, it's it's a it's a punch. Um, and it's a good punch. Yeah. And then, yeah, she when she starts repeating the bomb me, bomb mm-hmm. me. And then she, like, you know, just belts. And she's a very good belter. And I'm, I'm glad she, like, she kind of has restraint with where she decides to do it on the song. Because, like, she, her vocal tone is, like, all over the place on the album. She'll go in a lot of different places. She only really belts when she needs to. And I think she uses it to really good effect here near the end of the song. It's true. It's not a crutch. It's not something that she sort of like. It's it, it's a it, it's a good back pocket um, belt that. Uh, yeah. Well, because she just like she has such a unique voice. Right. Yeah. Her regular it's tone very- is a lot like is a lot more emotive than you would expect. Yeah. Hmm. I guess I don't really have much else to say about this one. I guess it's it's probably one of my favorites on the album though. Yeah, I like it a lot. I, I think it, I think it, I think it holds up really well. Um, especially compared to the next track. Oh boy, I'm I'm kind of want to talk about power more <laughs> just to not have to discuss the first <laughs> part I mean, what of the you next. Got? Um, uh, um, you already said it's horny. You already talked about behind. Um, shit. What else? Um, no, I don't got anything else to say. It's it's a good song. I like power. Um, uh, yeah, coming back to it. Um, that song stood out as one that I remember. I remember, and then listening to it again still holds holds up super well. Yeah, it was one of the ones where I'm like, I was when I was revisiting the album earlier today, like I hadn't listened to it probably like three to four years at least. Sure. And like every word came to me immediately. Oh yeah. And I'm very bad at remembering lyrics. Like this this is like a like almost like a running bit. It's like I just don't know the words to any of my favorite songs at all. It's just not um, how I listen to I, music really. Yeah, no, I I I hear you. I, it's I, not how I listen to music. No. I I love singing along, but I don't I, 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 I know the words to a lot of songs, but I don't ever think about them or really examine them so it's always it's kind of fun the challenge of this uh show is that i have to actually look at the lyrics for the first time for some of these and uh yeah certainly with this one it was <laughs> enlightening <laughs> like, yeah, yeah sometimes i have to just like sometimes i just think of songs as like a well, i mean like the the lyrics of songs as just like a series of sounds that a person's mouth is making mm-hmm. which i mean i guess <laughs> technically is what it is but you know i mean i think it's why i liked and still like animal Hunt so much is that there there is zero interest in really it's just vocal yeah. tones. <laughs> They're saying words, but the words don't really carry. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. A peace bone sure did get found in a dinosaur wing. <laughs> Better believe it. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. It's time for Riot Riot. All right.
I have a secret to tell you about the night I met you. You had come to put handcuffs on my brother down in the alleyway. I dreamt of making love to you up on the rooftop, looking up at the sky. Hey, Meryl. Hey, Meryl. Hey. Meryl. Hello? Literally, what the fuck is that line? I wonder what Jesus said about this one. (laughs) The whole song would work just fine if you never said that. If you just yeah. if you just opened up the song with the next line, yeah, because mm-hmm. I actually think the rest of it, although still, eh, there's I'm making a hand motion that's kind of wobbling here. Like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the rest of the song is at least better. That opening just puts you on such a weird foot, and I don't, you know, I gotta say, I don't think that we should be fucking cops. <laughs> we no. don't need to be fucking cops. The cops don't need to get fucked. I mean, some of them, you know, uh. like it's it's like. It's sexual pol- it's like a sexual politic gender dynamic thing that I think I'm just not getting because it doesn't really even seem to be in tone with the rest of the song. Right. Like no. that song like that whole line almost just seems like it was supposed to be in the song doorstep but she couldn't get it to fit. <laughs> yeah, it was it it has that sort of energy of being written for something else. Yeah, cuz the rest of the song is like all about just like the the energy and resentment and anger that forms that causes riots to happen and it really like the way that she builds the song really works towards that like the uh starting with the right before it happens Mm -hmm. that verse is like really quiet and understated with like the the picked ukulele lines and then there's the get real hot blow your top uh bridge and then when she comes back in, there's like a lot more guitar parts, there's more drums, and then it all culminates with the her her signature belt for this song, which is the there is a freedom in violence that I don't understand, and like I've never felt before. Where then she just like explodes all the loops out at once. And it sounds so fucking cool, but it's still the song that she opened up talking about fucking a cop. <laughs> yeah. And like So like And even even reading that line right now, there is a freedom in violence, it's uh <laughs> It feels very much, I don't know, there's something about that that just kind of rubs, like like a lot of, like most of this song, it rubs kind of the wrong way of like, she's finding freedom in it when, I don't know, I don't want to go too when, far when down it's that, like, but it's, it's, when, when you're, when you're discussing like the politics of, of a riot, right. it's not necessarily a freedom in violence, it's a necessity in violence, It feels right? very much like a mm-hmm. white person that, com- that, you know, shows up and is like, cool, now I get to be... I get to re- release, blow off some steam here by I'm supporting a cause yeah. or whatever. And like, I know people who last summer went out and did that. And I just can't deal with them <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that might even just be intentional the way she wrote it. Yeah. But it's also just another case of like, what voice is she speaking in in this song? Because it is immediately right. followed by like the really quiet voice that closes out the song after like the instrumental break. That's like, why did you come here to our neighborhood? It kind of reads more as like a documentarian Mm -hmm. talking about the, the, the philosophy of riots rather than somebody who is actually trying to participate in one. Yeah. But I think the, uh, the, the contrast between the, the, there's a freedom in violence and the, why did you come here to our neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Um, kind of illustrates like the point she's going for. Um, in a way that I think is like is it, it works particularly well, but it would work better if it was two different vocalists. I think because mm-hmm. like she's you, she's kind of swapping characters all over this song. She is, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, uh, but yeah, it's hard to tell when that character shift happens because um, when she uses yeah. um, she uses you and um, 
I and all that, like, and they throughout. It's kind of unclear who, yeah, exactly who, who she is. Who she's is. talking to with any of those individual instances. Because, right, yep. like, the first one, it's obviously she's talking to a cop. Um, but I don't think that's tr- necessarily true of all the U's. Yeah. Musically, um, like you were saying, it's really cool when all of the loops kind of come together like that. Uh, and also, it's kind of uh, like the hook of the song, the Get Real Hot, Blow Your Top. Uh, it kind of turns into a bossa nova beat hmm. at that point, which is kind of a, a cool juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like a really um, like dynamically interesting song as compared to the the uh, ones that we've heard so far. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when it starts getting into the, they are riding an Oki and they're knocking at your door. Who are you for? Who are you? And it's like, um, like it, it, it gets really chaotic at that point. Like yeah. the rhythm starts like falling out of step and then she starts like shoving more words into each line and it starts sounding like really paranoid. And it's like, do you hear me? Do you hear me? And then that's when she belts and it's like, yeah, no, that's a really cool effect to build into it. But it's like, I don't know where you're going for as a whole. Mm-hmm. From there, we can move on to business. Good song. I think this is my favorite. I think I think so. I, listening back, this is the one that stood out. I think when I was when I used to listen to it, and then now this is the one that made my summer playlist. And anything that ends up on one of my summer playlists is the one I'll listen to the most because I just like I'll make that playlist somewhere in like June, mm-hmm. and then that's all I listen to for the rest of the year. Yep. <laughs> I I absolutely hate the uh, the about. Uh, on the genius page for this. Oh, oh boy. Great. I gotta see this. Somebody who is a linguist wrote this goddamn oh, thing. No, 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 no. Tunyards employs this track to adumbrate a lover's tiff, navigating the <laughs> idiosyncrasies and disjointed commitments that can make relationships so challenging. The song ends on melancholic terms, with, with Garbus cr- willingly ceding her autonomy to her partner, who ultimately rejects her out of fear. Pretty dark and intense for a first single. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> this person has uh, a Tumblr where they talk about their uh, high school girlfriend all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have to look up what a dumbrate means. I have, that is a word I have, I I know words, and despite, so far on this podcast, me forgetting every word, that's a word I just literally have no idea what it's. Does this have something to do with shadows? That's what I would guess by, like, the root words in yeah. there. Report or represent an outline. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay, sure. Why the fuck not? Um, this is probably one of the coolest, like, just, like, musically yeah. on the whole album. I yeah. mean, like, I all the songs the are pretty much sure. built on... Yeah. It's built on a lot of loops. It's built on, like, a, a kind of building, rising tension. And it has saxophones in it. So, like, what else it could you ask for? Such good saxophones. And the, the, the back and forth in the chorus is just incredible. Like, mm-hmm. the, the ooze in this song, um, they kind of call to mind, uh, like how dirty projectors had the the hocketing thing at this time mm-hmm. period um except you know it's just her rather than two vocalists oh yeah i mean it's hearing her assemble these loops it almost it, it's wild how she does it because like yeah. it's it's kind of obvious right it's like she'll do one set 
of lines, mm-hmm. like the ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, and then and then she'll go ha, 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 and then it, yeah, it like the way that she like distributes those throughout the the different channels because like she doesn't even just loop on like mono. She's like stereo panning things on the stage. It's like it's bonkers how she builds these things. Of course, I'm just like generally impressed with any musician that's using loop pedals, <laughs> um, especially ones that are particularly good at it, which is why, like, you know, I've seen Tune Yards twice in concert. I've seen Owen Pallet like eight times in concert. Yeah, I am just a sucker <laughs> there, there for it. There are people who are good with, the, good with their loop pedals. I'm just a total sucker for it. Just as soon as I see someone looping their own voice, I just kind of start like stamping my feet and going, yeah, more. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Give me that. Um, yeah. I and then, to, of course, yeah. like the, the drumming is great. Mm hmm. Seeing Owen Pallet eight times in concert is kind of a rite of passage for Canadians. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he does a show, like, every couple of years, usually at the same venue, even. You just go yeah. there, and you, you see it. It's a pilgrimage. Yep. I'm always so scared to admit that I've never listened to Owen Pallet on whenever I talk to you guys. Um, <laughs> you should. It's good. It makes good stuff. I, I, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Owen uses they thems now, so they they do good stuff. Yeah, yeah. God, I don't even know what to say about the lyrics of this song. They, they barely just they barely register to me. They are purely textured. Same, yeah. <laughs> Which is really now. funny for like an album with so many like strictly political themes on them. Is like when I'm listening to this one, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's those are sounds. That's it. That's all I'm hearing. Yeah, that's and that's fine. I, I think that makes this a lot stronger of a track than kind of what's been surrounding it. I, I really like the part later in the song where she's like, I said, ooh, 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 I'll bleed if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really getting into like, a, like sacri- being sacrificial in relationships. And like, mm-hmm. this is this is like the most relationship song on the whole album. So she, I, I could I can see where she's where she's going with that. And it has a really good build behind it, too, because that's where it kind of explodes into the the heavy saxophones, then back into the chorus. Don't take my life away. Don't take my life away. It was cool that for the tour of this album, uh, they they had the two saxophone players that accompanied them. Yeah, I, when when we saw them when we when they were on at Pitchfork, mm-hmm. the the saxophones would just kind of come on and off the stage. Oh, yeah. I remember that. They were just they were just coming on whenever they were needed. Yeah, they add it adds a, the horns just add a very necessary extra texture to. Um, a lot right, of these well, because songs. otherwise it's just drums and bass. Right. Nate Brenner's like mostly just playing a bass. Or he's, yeah, I think ukulele. sometimes he'll throw a guitar in there, but... I, mm-hmm. Watching the Pitchfork thing, I did see he does have some uh, glass bottles that he tinks against. Um, Hell like, yeah, uh, yeah. Which I, why not? Again, another thing where I'm always kind of like, like, that's goofy, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's 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 like the, the John Stanier giant tall uh, crash symbol. Yes. Where it's like, you know, I understand the utility of this, and it also puts like a unique presence on the stage, so I'm all for mm-hmm. it. But yeah, no, definitely the coolest sounding song. I, I was I was just grooving listening to this one. Yeah, this is probably the one that I've come back to. Like when I'm like, oh, I should try Tune Yards again. I usually end up like either getting to this song or just putting this song on. And I'm like, yeah, this is still a good record. But boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's the opening to side two. So it's really easy to just put this one on. Mm-hmm. Which like, I, I respect this record for being only one LP. Yeah. R- respect one LP records. Very few left. It's true. <laughs> 40, 42 if, minutes or whatever it is, however long it is, is a great record length. I, I talk a lot about... Literally no album should be longer than that. And and these days, a lot of times, because of, you know, 
how vinyl is starting to become the auto the audiophile medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll split it into two discs anyway and make it forty five RPM, even yeah. when it doesn't need to be. God, yeah. horrible! Don't do it. All right, let's get to let's get to another <laughs> weird racial implication <laughs> song. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's get to the, the jaunty police the jaunty police shooting song doorstep. <laughs> A song that certainly sounds. I don't. I think if I had been a little bit smarter, then I'd be like, "This is very weird." I think I, I already. It already was one of those ones where I was kind of. I always was a little bit. This is an odd, odd choices are happening here. Listening to it right now. Ooh boy. Yeah. Like, the problem is, it really fucking slaps though. The, <laughs> <laughs> it's real good. Again, if you. I was listening to the start of the song, and I'm like, "Oh man, this one hasn't aged really well." And then like, it gets to like the chorus where the, the drums start going real good and then the, the bass starts coming in and I'm like, yeah, all right, okay. Once you get okay. to those na-nas, hey-hey's, and doot-doos. <laughs> God. But yeah, the opening lines of the song, policeman shot my baby as he crossed over my doorstep. Policeman shot my baby crossing right over my doorstep. His arms were so close I could see the blood pulsing through both his wrists. Don't tell me the cops are right in a wrong like this. Because policeman shot my baby crossing right over my doorstep. So, like, the actual, like, politics of the lyrics are mostly fine. Yeah. I feel like it's mostly just the fact that the song is so jaunty. <laughs> it, that really kind of creeps me out. Yeah, it's weird. I, I think the I think it's another good example of, like, I don't think she's wrong in her politics. But I don't know why yeah. she's the person, like, that needs to be really singing this song. really straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. There's not, yeah, there's not a lot of nuance to it either. It's very just like, yeah. Yeah. It's just saying the sentences. Yeah. And then like getting into like the, the verses, it's like, I don't understand why we accept this world with this violence all around us. And, you know, kind of just barreling down the point of the, uh, don't tell me the cops are right and wrong like this in each of the verses. And like, I fully get every lyric of the song. It all works. Except mm-hmm. for the tone. The tone is weird. Yeah, it's just it, it feels a lot like um especially like It's like getting into like a really it's it's really just kind of getting into a really personal angle, right? Yeah. Cuz it's like it's not just like this this person was shot by police. It's like my lover was shot by police. Here is like he was such a great and loving person yes. around me. Like I feel like the un, the unstated implication is that the lover was a black man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um just cuz of, you know, how the song is. It does have a little bit of that, like, Instagram politics. Like, yeah, this, some of the lines in here are things you I, I could, I feel like I've seen people putting on their Instagram stories as they tweet through um, every political thing that's happening in the past year. The, the shirtless <laughs> yeah. guy with the, the text over his face saying, just heard about racism. <laughs> yes. Damn, that shit sucks. <laughs> God, that really is just the song, huh? Yeah. It's the guy with the backwards hat and the Instagram bloom filter holding the sign that says stop racism. <laughs> Y'all mind if I? Yeah. How many gone before you listen to the cries with my dead heart? How do I find my way through the truth and all the lies? This was exactly I think is a, is a, is a really good line. Yeah, it is good. It's just also. I think yeah. I think that part really works. Mm-hmm. 
Because it's like, I mean, no one even, like, just like a large political moment. It's like police shootings of black people had been just outrageously common, like, basically through all of history, but like particularly since the 60s. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it it wouldn't even be till the next year that they started, like, gaining large scale media attention in the United States. So it's kind of ahead of a moment uh, ahead of, well, I mean, ahead of white people on the moment on that. <laughs> right, I was going to say, yeah, it's, let, let me, let me be particular. Good. Yeah, definitely ahead of any like people who are writing about this album. Yeah, this was not being, yeah, for this sure. was being portrayed in media, but not media that had this kind of traction and this kind of like, um, audience, I guess, um, at least intentionally, uh, cause yeah. I'm yeah, just looking like, at the pitchfork review right now and it's like, the only thing that's even brought up about the song Doorstep is Nate Brenner's bass line. That is so <laughs> like I, fucking I weird. can't fucking imagine talking about this album <laughs> and not even getting into the lyrics of this song. Mm-hmm. This guy is like, on a the, deadline. How does that not even come up? Like, what? Yeah, me me as a 22-year-old in 2011 also was not thinking about the lyrics <laughs> no, of this song. No, I know. It's just like, Jesus, you write for an outlet. Uh-huh. You're being paid for this. I, I like it, all things that could be said about like how like the the weirdness of it. It's it's so weird. It's so wild to me that the like any critical reception of this album could not even have got into any of the shit at all. Like it just didn't come up. Like the the most that like blackness is mentioned is the fact that it keeps that people keep calling this album related to Afro pop, mm-hmm. <laughs> which like first of all it isn't. It doesn't what? fucking sound like Afro pop at all. Um, yeah. and then like second of all, it's like. The themes of blackness on this album are in the lyrical content. As much as, like, Meryl Garbus is a white woman writing about these mm-hmm. things, you can't just, like, it's, it can't be ignored when talking about the lyrical content of this album. And so, like, it's, it is wild to me that it never came up. Everyone talking about this album as if it were related to Afropop listened to the first Vampire Weekend uh, album <laughs> and saw that that was one of the genres that it was tagged as. And they were like, oh, yeah. this kind of sounds like that. They all just listen to fucking... Paul Simon Graceland. I feel like that's just everyone's idea of what Afropop is. Yeah. In the words of Don Don Caballero, you haven't lived Afropop. <laughs> that is the title of one of their songs. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but yeah, again, another case of Meryl, I get what you were going for, but who boy? Mm-hmm. Who jeez? Jeezum creesum. Like I said earlier. Maybe reconsider this yeah, one. Yeah, I'm it it's impressive again with her audience and with which she was thinking about this stuff i just don't know that she quite <laughs> stuck the old landing on <laughs> maybe it's just the fact that the album is so front-loaded that by the time you get to track seven like as the reviewer you're not even thinking about what you're listening to anymore <laughs> yeah i mean i could see that happening I, I mean i feel like everyone working for an outlet like this that was pumping out the number of reviews they do is probably just vastly underpaid for it anyway so yeah. Yeah. That's something I tried to do is I tried to go on the Wayback Machine to f- look at the front page on the day this came out, and I couldn't find one. I found one for um, April 20th, though. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, this was quickly, like, the top red. Like, because you, you, the Pitchfork, old Pitchfork website used to be a whole jumble of stuff, <laughs> including, like, the top red uh, reviews. And within, like, a few mm-hmm. days of coming out, it was... Way up there at the mm-hmm. top of um, what people were reading. So yeah, well, like Best New Music's had their own like section mm-hmm. that was a lot more clear than it is on the 
I mean, no, it's it's on the top bar on the new website. It so. is, but they were listed with pictures on the old one, which made it a lot easier yeah. too. It was a lot more like um, yeah. It was like a sidebar and not just a sub menu. Yeah. So like when something got BNM, it was like there for a couple of days at least. Yeah, you would see unless it. Unless it was a particularly busy week. Mm-hmm. Everything on the front page of a website now takes up like half of the screen. Yeah, I mean, like I have this review at half screen right now, and just like the margins are taking up half the screen. <laughs> <laughs> the way that the the site's design web design is a fucking toilet now, but that's not what we're here to talk it's about. It's got a scale, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Must scale. It's got it. Got to scale to all the different screens. Um, next, we come to you. Yes, you. If your home is where the heart is begging, then my home is inside you. I don't need to live in room of diamonds. Yeah, chicken shack will do. If home is where the heart is begging, then my home is inside you. Uh, for my money, I think this song could have just ended the album, and you just didn't even need the last two. But we'll get to each of those as we come yeah. to them. I, What's I that literally about? What's thought that this was about. She does get to some of her more annoying tendencies on this one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of interrupting her own lines with like weird, like just like strumming on her on the guitar or saying "ha" really loud, <laughs> or the "What's that about?" with the really out of tune bass line below it. Yes. It's a little bit of a David Byrne effect in in that sense. Like, he he definitely uh, did that a lot back in the day. I'm just trying to figure out what she's going for with this one. I'm just, I'm reading over the lyrics and, you know, just live on the air because we're very professional Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here. I didn't just pull up Coke Machine Glow's review and get lost in reading it um, uh, a few minutes ago. Is it a good review? Like a lot of Coke Machine Glow Glow reviews, it's pretty damn good as far as I can tell. (laughs) Yeah, it mentioned. I mean, I really liked having the the Coke machine, uh, the Coke machine glow review to uh, to refer to, versus the Pitchfork review when the like it's a particularly Pitchfork acclaimed oh, album. Oh, guess who wrote it? Who wrote it? Lindsay Zolad. <laughs> oh, fuck's sake! <laughs> so yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, we, All right. Why are we just talking about that review instead? <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Look, let's let's we do need the rival Coke machine glow uh, podcast. So yeah. Lindsay, if you're listening, you can come on the show. Tell oh, tell us why. Anytime. Tell us why you're such a better writer than <laughs> anyone else who was on Pitchfork at the time. Mm-hmm. This just seems like it. It really just seems like a kind of an easy relationship song, as a contrast to the difficult relationship songs earlier in the album. Mm-hmm. That really seems like all it's going for. It seems like it seems like a nice place to end it, but then goes elsewhere instead. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say about this one. It- it's like. It's fine. The end of the record does kind of, it kind of peters out pretty pretty hard, um, which we'll talk about. In, but I mean, when you have a track that has like a really slow high reverb ukulele with like whispered vocals that's five and a half minutes long, it's going to kind of kill the pace so of your album. Long. And I think Doorstep <laughs> is just it. It kind of it's kind of a, especially now it's kind of a, a momentum killer. Even though it is a song that's nice to listen to, listening to it now it was very much like. All right, I've I've kind of hit my um, tolerance level for all this stuff. I, I like. Oh, could you imagine <laughs> if it went from doorstep right into Killa though? I think it might be a better album. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I like think... the, those two tracks next to each other might kill me instantly. No, no that's a good point. I was I was yeah. thinking about UESU. Killa um, would be um, yeah, that would <laughs> be difficult now that I'm remembering. Uh, 
I think that uh, we we definitely previously have discussed an album where a white person handled racial politics worse than this. Yeah. Uh, that, of course, being Travis Stan by Stan. Travis Morrison. <laughs> well, I guess we can say confidently, is this album better than Travis Stan? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Big. I will say with confidence that this song is better than this album is better than Travis Stan. Yeah, Greg, uh, Greg from uh, This Might Be a Podcast, if you're listening and you disagree with us, feel free to uh, to DM me with your with your challenges. <laughs> <laughs> so then we got uh, Wooly Wally Gong. Sleep deep now before the Wooly Wally Gong, for your sleep is guard against the cold and hard. A soft shout of safety in a world gone wrong Cause they try to you I'm really glad that this track has absolutely no annotations. I know, I noticed that when I was like, can you just, just yeah. can't even be bothered, can you? By the There's time a lot of just nonsense here. words on this one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That it's, said, I really do like the um, the chorus bit of the how do you keep a bleeding heart wide open? How do you stand directly where you're standing? Keep your bleeding heart right, wide open. When you fall, what happens when, you la- when you're landing? Yeah, that really stood out um, to me as like a good... Uh, yeah, It's the only part of the song I like. Yeah, I think conceptually. <laughs> as opposed to lyrics from elsewhere. Um, Let the clock give a tick, the dog give a lick. Your heart beats soundly on your dreamboat bed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, it's lullaby words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The dynamics of this song are really interesting, especially on headphones. But mm-hmm. yeah, as compared to the rest of the album, it's, it's like you said, a momentum killer. Also, she says hurdy-gurdy on this, al- on this track. It does. <laughs> Thinking of dynamics, I, I think we, we didn't mention it. I can't remember which song it is where, like, it's in an ESO where the, it pans really, like, across, like, the song breaks uh, so up. So the, uh, the 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 bassline pans between the two speakers at the end of one of the songs. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it like it starts breaking down. It used to always make me think that my headphones were breaking because um, like it, it, it clips really <laughs> yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a cool effect. It is really arresting on headphones because um, the yeah. uh, dynamics are just so extreme uh, from left to right. I mean, it's also it's it's really weird on speakers because like my my record player with the speakers are on the other side of the room from where I'm currently mm-hmm. sitting. Um, and when I was like listening to the record earlier, I was in the same spot I am now. And those stereo effects just sound, they sound so fucking weird. And it's so hard to like, you can tell they're happening, but they just don't sound good. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it just sounds like one of your speakers isn't working right. It's also like digital clipping on an analog source, which is already kind of a strange like experience. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of the thing with all of, I mean, these things are probably recorded to master tape, but at the same time, they're still edited digitally. So Everyone something something <laughs> something something clipping something something rotational velocity density mm-hmm, um <laughs> i know words <laughs> i mean that's, I could, that's well, what happens to your to your cdrs that's what happens to your cdrs after a couple of years they just start they start decaying don't worry about it <laughs> um i i really think that the um the dynamics of the song are, are kind of cool mm-hmm. just with the um the the really really whispered vocals yeah, she's right up on the mic. Yeah. She's de- like almost ASMR. Pre- <laughs> Pre-ASMR ASMR right here. Were you getting yeah. were you getting the tingles? I wasn't getting the tingles. No, no brain gasms? 
<laughs> I mostly will get that kind of effect from like big instrument drops. Oh, so like when yeah. she when she yeah. when she slams the pedal and all the loops come on, that's when I get it. Yeah. Or like that part of Dan Deacon's Wham City where all the instruments come back in after the oh, yeah? vocals only chorus. Not to be like too much of a distraction, but um like you were talking about how this could be an ASMR video and I don't think we've talked yet on this show about um like the uh the phenomenon of like the people on TikTok these days like discovering some piece of music from maybe the early 2000s like an experimental piece of music and like it becomes a meme to react to it oh yeah like uh like with the caretakers right like the whole caretakers suite of albums that are about like dementia and memory loss and they're like this song will give you memory loss (laughs) And I'm pretty sure, like, a couple of weeks ago, they discovered the disintegration loops. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, Amber, everyone uh, thinks Everyone thinks they're a, a gangster until they get to loop 278. I am I, always just so glad at the lack of, that I wasn't as engaged in social media. I'm still not, but, boy, oh, boy. I was just insufferable <laughs> at, at parties. I didn't have to, like, expose a the public to my annoying opinions about the disintegration loops in 2010. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am regretfully incredibly engaged in Mm. social media at all times. So I become aware of all this stuff. Although I only find out about things happening on TikTok because of Caitlin. So yeah, same. This song, this song (laughs) is uh, up next in line to be a a TikTok meme. I think (laughs) talking about how creepy the Willy Wally, the Willy Wally gong is going to come get you. Yeah. Or it's going to be like one of those songs that becomes a YouTube meme and all the furry animators start getting a hold of it. <laughs> like uh, that Let's They Might Be Giants song. Yeah. <laughs> that that one They Might Be Giants song. Uh, God, which one is it? It's it's from Nanobots, I think. Stuff is yeah. Way. That's what it is. Stuff is Way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We got one more, folks. Yep. We got Killa. seems like it's a critique of her own persona yeah it's very self <laughs> on this album yeah it's it's self-aware and self-deprecating that does not mean it is not absolutely weaponized cringe. <laughs> i'm sorry i keep saying that but it's okay you're very online this it's is weapons grade cringe this this could level a small city this is going in my cringe compilation donkey <laughs> you better start believing in cringe compilations you're in one <laughs> It, it again. It's musically a really tight, good song. Yeah, and I think it works well as an album ender. Yeah, just because it kind of it kind of pulls a lot of the threads uh, throughout the album musically together. Like it got it has pretty much every kind of tune yards motif throughout the album on it. It has like the the random spoken lines. It has like random recordings. Mm-hmm. It has loops. It has drums. It has ukulele. I think it, there's some sax in there in the later parts of the song. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's got the the thing of like uh, a bunch of conversational pieces overlapping each other. 
oh yeah, by the way, which sounds completely like shit and is absolutely unintelligible on speakers. <laughs> works really well on headphones where you can like, you know, process the different cans differently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does not work on speakers across the room. Absolutely nonsense. Um, and yeah, the line, would you call me na- naive and an idealist if I told you I am disheartened that in this day and age I do not have more male black friends? I cannot take it. I'm so hip. I'm hip like a yuppie is hip. Confident and yipping at the heels of my yuppie forefathers. I tried to write a song in your style. To steal the lessons of the 80s is to steal the foam off the rabies. Can you see the, see the fear in the back of my throat? Once you've judged me yourself, let my teeth take a vote. I'm so hip. I cannot take it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, she's very much making fun of herself, yeah. but she also did very much write a song in your style when she <laughs> yeah. went and studied Haitian drum teachers and then used those drum styles on Nicky Nap. So it's like, at a certain point, you're self-aware of it, but you're still doing it. Right. That's always the problem. It's like, no matter how much you can point out your own faults. Um, it's just lampshading. Yes. You spent a whole record doing that. <laughs> and like, I am... <laughs> I am disheartened that in this day and age, I do not have more male black friends. Would you call me naive and an idealist if I told you this? Um, no, I just call you cringe. <laughs> like, it's just like, go do it. Go meet people. I don't get it. <laughs> it this is this is you. This is a you problem. I feel like the only person who could solve this problem is you. And like, maybe yeah. that's what she's maybe that's what she's going for. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like that is definitely what she's going for. because She's just kind of making fun of herself on this one. Um, but man, that is just not. It sounds really like almost like fetishizing. It's like it's almost like tokenizing the idea of having more male black friends. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. kind of thrown in at the end, um, along with a bunch of self-deprecating well, yeah, it's stuff. Like right at the end of the album, um, it's like, yeah. it, like you're putting this where you're putting basically like the defining statement of your album right at the end here, and you're like layering it on top of like a loop of you doing like vocalizing. So it's like you know, here's my thesis. It's the end of the album. Here it is. Would you call me naive and an idealist? <laughs> And she's doing a voice for it, too. She's doing, like, a kind of, oh. like, an exaggerated yuppie affect, which, like, I mean, she keeps saying, I'm so hip and I'm a yuppie. Yeah. Making fun of that idea while also being that idea. Being that idea. It's like, oh, man. That's why I wish the, I wish the album ended two songs ago. Right, yeah. It's a person moving into, like, a new neighborhood and complaining about gentrifiers. Like, like moving into a neighborhood in Brooklyn <laughs> and being like, all these gentrifiers coming in. It's like, well, yeah, like... You've recognized the problem, but you're not like you're not still part of it. <laughs> I mean, in her case, she literally did move to Oakland, right. an area under very, very heavy gentrification mm-hmm. due to, you know, proximity to the rest of Silicon Valley. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like if like someone's going to listen to this and be like, yeah, that's the point. But I'm like, just because that is the point doesn't mean it's not like awkward. I feel like there's better ways to make your point. Sure. Or better people to make the same point. I think that's the big thing, is that, like, it's... Like I said before, I like... I respect that these are things she's thinking about, obviously. And, like, I like that she's putting these ideas out there. That said, even in 2011, I don't know that Meryl Garbus is the voice that needs to be saying all this stuff. And it's tough. But, I mean, it's like... At a certain point, it's like, it is also just like, this is her personal expression of her personal ideals and her personal yeah. insecurities. And it's like, okay. At the same time, it's like, God, do we really need to hear a white person's insecurities exactly. about their relation to blackness? I feel like without Pitchfork, I don't think we would have. <laughs> no, I mean, well, like, she, I, I think this is, this is something that, it, that, I've, that I'll bring up a lot is like, getting a best new music is something that can like, it was at a time able to like, multiply your appearance fees by like 
12 times. Like you just, yeah. you, you'd suddenly just be able to do better bookings. Yeah. 2011, and that, that's definitely yeah. a huge part of it. Like she got a huge audience because of this album. This was still peak pitchfork. Like this album had a ton of, I mean, it had a lot of hype coming up to it, I think. Cause I, I remember being excited yeah. about it coming out. So it, it, well, I mean, when, when, when business yeah. dropped, which I think was like February of that year, Sounds right. that song was big. Yeah. It, it made the college radio circuit pretty strongly. And like, you know, it was in a bunch of commercials too, which always helps. Sure. <laughs> I mean, this was like the, the early heydays of Shazam. Of Shazam. So That's being right, in a commercial yeah. can get you can get you songs sold. It's true. And then, as I said, you know, one of her songs on her last album was in a Blackberry commercial, which is the first place where I ever heard Tune Yards. But yeah. I, I feel like I, the first time I heard Tune Yards was, it, it probably was this album or like the singles leading up to it because... I I looked up Sister Suvi after that show, and I was like, "Oh, th- there's a, another album by this uh, ukulele player out already. I should probably yeah. look into that." Yeah, I guess that would have been like the same year, huh? Yeah, like, um, yeah, their 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 one album, Sister Suvi's one album, came out in two thousand nine, um, and, and that's the same year that the the that previous Bird two Brains years came out. out. Bird Brains, yeah. Oh, okay, but yeah. Um, God, the, the the album sure ends on "I'm so hip, I cannot take it." It absolutely does. <laughs> Which I mean, I guess that's that's a that's a statement as, as strong as any. Yeah, and I think that it it definitely carried her a good distance um, yeah. because she got to perform at all these different events mm-hmm. and do the soundtrack for "Sorry to Bother You," and lots of success came came to Yard's way. I mean, I guess Boots Riley is at least one male black friend she has. <laughs> you get one. She got somewhere with it, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it seems like, it just feels like such a weird statement. It is an odd, it's definitely an odd album. It, it, it's, like, like we were saying, musically, there's almost nothing, I, there's a couple songs where it's like, okay, it goes a little bit too far, but musically, it's pretty, more or less, kind of unimpeachable. It really is just a yeah. lyrical, lyrical content that I have such a hard time with now. So when you listen to it the way I yeah. usually do, which is just I completely disregard all the lyrics. All the lyrics. Perfect record. <laughs> perfect record. Yeah, if we're just discounting those lyrics and just using vocals as a texture, perfect. Gotta love it. No problems whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, it holds up really this well. Is, it still sounds really unique. This mm. is this is how we experience Grimes in 2021. <laughs> we. <laughs> Ah, she was never saying anything anyway. Yeah, exactly. You you listened you listened to you know visions and art angels, and you're like, this is a cool sounding mm-hmm. record. Yeah, not gonna look any further than that. Look, we were <laughs> all getting Grimes album implanted into our brains by Musk Tech while we are on our way out to Mars. We'll all on the, onto the cyber colony on which we're going to be indentured servants. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Where I'll pay back the cost of my trip by working for twenty years for. You know, uh, one of the people who could afford, who could actually afford. I'm by working in the Dogecoin mines, <laughs> we mining that blockchain. God, um, yeah, uh, we'll all appreciate uh, Grimes for what she really, for who she really is, and the artist that she. We'll, we'll all appreciate power. Grimes reference. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it'd fall into the same camp. I think I think some stuff has uh, has done perfectly fine. Yeah. Like power still works perfectly fine. Business still works perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Sexual and gender politics generally, uh, she's in a good place. Um, my, that, my country. My country's good, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, uh, 
the kind of thing that you you got to keep in mind when people are becoming increasingly jingoistic and you know that 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 kind of patriotism which is just fascism yeah yeah um that's the perfect kind of attitude to hold towards uh the country around you but uh yeah i know it's i think a lot of the album holds up still it's just uh some of it's a little uncomfortable there meryl <laughs> yeah that that recent uh discussion of tune yards politics when uh what was the album i can feel you looking Creeping into, my, into private- my private life yeah um it's yeah just the uh just the um, the blurb at the top of that review says, on her confrontational fourth album, Meryl Garbus wades into the politics of being white in America. Sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, it is musically and lyrically ambitious, but its grander themes land with an uncomfortable thud. Yeah. And it's like, you could have written that on a review of Who Kill? If, uh-huh. like, the, if the general political conversation was different in 2011. Yep. But it wasn't. So when it came to, like, what was that, 2018? Yeah, that was that was 2018, and then that was 2018. Uh, then the new Tune Yards album is out next month. Wow, good timing. Sketchy. <laughs> it's called Sketchy. It is called Sketchy with a period oh, at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where that's going already. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I'll listen to it. I'll see what's happening. I will listen to it at least once. Yeah. Um, I we'll don't know. Maybe has 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 Tune Yards evolved to meet the moment, or are we still going to have the the same anxieties of the the feelings of white womanhood in a black popular culture in a largely white America. Because, like, we've heard those anxieties a couple of times now, Meryl. Well... Unless you're having someone else do the vocals and tell their own story. I don't know if people need to hear it. She recently appeared on Stephen Colbert, so I think that's pointing to... <laughs> not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, at least go on Fallon just so you can hang out with the roots again. There you go. One thing we can say about this album, the cover art looks like a delicious sandwich. It does look like a delicious sandwich. I'd eat that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some, there's a few things I might pick out, but overall. Overall, good, good sandwich. sandwich. Yeah. The mismatched bread is speaking, fascinating. <laughs> speaking of food, like, I, I'm now remembering the next album after this. Nicky Knack had a couple of, like, weird, uh, like, skits in between the songs. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> one of them was called why do we feast on the tots there was why do we feast on the tots huh? was this um a uh, napoleon dynamite reference <laughs> it might it may have been a, a funny napoleon dynamite the, the oh, it was she, 2014 so that would have she had like yeah. an exaggerated kind of like mid-atlantic accent going on for that one mm. yeah <laughs> interesting <laughs> it was it was it was something if there's any artists who needed skits i think it was tune yards god all right, so that's it. That's the album. That's Who Kill. My favorite yeah. album of 2011. I don't know if it's still that now. It's probably still pretty up there musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, troubling implications in the year of 2021. <laughs> yeah, I'm still like a big fan of, uh, like I said, my country and uh, and even even Gangsta. Like I still listen to it a lot, even though it's yeah, I- like we said, a really a really kind of confused song right i feel like that one that one best gets what it's going for just yeah. in the way that it's it kind of uh it keeps a certain silliness about it in a way that works mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that it's in that it's about that kind of aping of culture that it itself is kind of doing i think that it just kind of it works on a, a on a base level for that reason but yeah but just its use in pop culture has totally canceled that out <laughs> right <laughs> 
Like, seriously, just go watch the scene of it in uh, Orange is the New Black. It's like episode two or three. I mean, you don't have to go on Netflix. I'm sure you can just find the clip. Like, but genuinely um, scared of doing that. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's real bad. <laughs> well, that is Who Killed by Toon Yards. James, do you want to uh, to go first? Um, I know you probably don't want to, uh, like, plug anything, but um, it, it's great having you on again. Um, you're... You've been uh, a friend of mine for a really long time, and uh, I always appreciate having longer musical chats with you. <laughs> well, there, yeah, we'll plug um, having friends and talking about music. Um, I have literally nothing else to. Plug. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plug the concept of, of having of our, accounts on torrent sites. <laughs> one of our rare non-podcaster guests. Yeah. <laughs> Just a normo. <laughs> uh, I'm David. You can uh, find me on this show. Um, you can follow this show at, at Tuning Forecast. Um, I'm also at, at Dave's with three V's on Twitter, um, which I've lately turned into my uh, personal account as well as my uh, music uh, account. Um, I did. I did notice that the display name is Spinning Voices on there now. Yeah, um, because I'm trying to like make people more aware that I do do music <laughs> still. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm like actively trying to, you know, try new things with it lately. Um, like I recently started working, uh, uh, on like learning the Korg, uh, tools that were written for the Nintendo DS and 3DS. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, so, the Korg tool I, on the DS is so good. Yeah. I'll, it's like, it's like LSDJ just, you know, made by an official uh software release um yeah no it's it's real cool yeah it has um, like analog synth synth patches in a digital form like it literally mm-hmm. has a thing where you can just draw the cables plug to plug yeah it's so cool yeah the 3ds one um the i don't remember exactly what it's called but it has uh an oscilloscope that uses the the 3d screen oh hell yeah are these are, yeah. are these official releases yeah. Yeah, their official release is by Core. Oh, that rules. <laughs> yeah. I have the DS one. It has one of those little like uh pads you can just like move around yeah. on. Yeah, the chaos pad. The chaos oh. pad, yeah. And you can just like scratch on it and 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 uh modulate your uh your loops. Yeah, it's super it's, neat. It's super um, fun to play around with. Yeah, so I make music as spinning voices. Uh you can find that at spinningvoices.bandcamp.com. Uh I'm Matt, you can find me on Twitter at Matt GCN. Uh, Almost all I poke. Uh, almost all I post about lately is Pokemon. Um, he pokes about Pokemon. <laughs> I've, yeah. About, I, I poke about Postemon, and um, I, all I've been doing lately is like working on Pokemon fan games. Like I've literally been, I've been doing data work for the latest uh, Twitch Plays Pokemon run, which is a ROM hack. Remember Twitch Plays Pokemon when it had like hundreds of thousands of people yeah. watching it? Now it's like you know a couple. It's a couple hundred that yeah. still watch it. And um, they put way more actual effort into the hacks, and yet there's way less people of watching. It's, it's kind of a shame, honestly. It's it's because they're doing some really cool stuff there now. Yeah. And then, like on that front, I'll probably have some things to announce eventually. I'm, I'm working on a couple of projects that aren't actually announced yet. Um, but yeah, Pokemon is generally most of what I do. I might update my Pokemon podcast again sometime soon. Uh, it's called Elite Full Restore. You can find that at Twitter at e4 Restore. And then uh, the other podcast that I do sometimes is Henry Kissinger is Pokemon Going to Die, which is a uh, leftist politics podcast for the Extremely Online. You can find <laughs> that on Twitter at HKIPGTD. Um, that's uh, all on the Noise Space Network, which is the podcast network that I run, oh. um, which hosts this and many other great shows, which are 
all basically just by people I know who wanted a nice little network to form together to, you know, share listeners, share talent, and uh, generally support each other, creating content for a world where you don't necessarily have to monetize everything just to get by. You just kind of want to hang out and have some fun with your buds. Which, like, what is this podcast if not that? You, yeah, exactly. You guys have the nicest um, plugs. It's a nice couple guys. <laughs> some nice plugs. Yeah. Oh, we're just a uh, couple of nice dudes. It's a, it's a, it's a Midwesterner and a Canadian. What the fuck do you expect? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, the the art for this show was done by Nikki Flowers, uh, who has a show called Picking Up Something Good uh, on Noise Space. Um, it's a joint effort between Noise Space and uh, the record label Neo Detritus. Um, Nikki also has a new show, uh, which I've been enjoying, um, on YouTube called What's the Fucking Weather, um, mm-hmm. where, um, it, it's, it's kind of like a short form podcast, uh, which is also a weather report, uh, using yep. the old 90s weather channel software, uh, that they have, uh, gotten to run on their, uh, computer. Oh. So, um, it's, it's a pretty, uh, interesting experience. I also um, know that Nikki is looking to, beat their world record score for Garfield for the Atari 2600. Uh, The current score is somewhere in the neighborhood of six octillion, and they are going for a higher score for their next run, so make sure to look forward to that. That was an interesting Twitch stream to watch, I I must say. (laughs) You gotta go for that normal touch. You gotta go for the normal touch. Um, And the the opening music of of the podcast is Open Air by Animal Style from the EP Open Air, uh, which is a classic chiptune EP from the late 2000s. And you can follow them uh, on Twitter at at NMLSTYL. And as we always say, I had never seen a shooting star before. I had never seen a shooting star before. I had never seen a shooting star before. Bye, everybody. Bye, gamers.